Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. At some point I mentioned that despite this whole show being about all my favorite trees, I do in fact have a personal top three ranking of trees that have a special place in my heart. I've already done an episode on my third favorite tree, the Coast Redwood, and today I'll be talking about my second all-time favorite tree, the Ginkgo. This episode is quite frankly long overdue. I wanted to cover it back in early spring, but ultimately decided that in order to properly present this species to you, I needed to do more extensive research. In every other episode, my sources come from the free and easy World Wide Web, but this time I decided to read an entire book on the subject by the Dean of the Yale School of Forestry and Ginkgo expert, Peter Crane. And yes, I know spring was a long time ago, but I'm a slow reader, so cut me some slack. But why does this tree deserve all that extra effort? What is it about this tree that I love so much? Hey, isn't this that tree with the smelly fruits? I did a whole episode about a smelly tree and how much I hate it. Looking past its drawbacks, the ginkgo, in this humble podcaster's opinion, has the most fascinating natural history of any living plant species. The ginkgo is known as the fossil tree, the tree that time forgot. It's a species that we see in fossils dating back to 200 million years ago, and what currently grows at our point in time is relatively unchanged from those ancient samples. This is an iconic prehistoric plant, but what can we learn from its extensive history, and what has its long, long journey meant to us? put, the ginkgo is a tree unlike any other. I'll remind you all of one of the most basic divisions in the evolutionary history of trees and plants. We have gymnosperms, which are generally cone-bearing trees, and angiosperms, which are flowering trees. The ginkgo is classified as a gymnosperm. In fact, ginkgos were around millions of years before the first flowering plants appeared in fossil records. This makes them closer in relation to the conifers that we are familiar with today but there's very little these trees have in common in regards to physical appearance. For all intents and purposes, the ginkgo is considered a broadleaf tree, rather than a needle tree that you will see in conifers. The leaves are fan-shaped, the scientific word being flabolate, which is just delightful. I'll try not to repeat myself on this matter too much, but every aspect of this tree's leaf is fascinatingly unique. Sometimes the fan shape is intact, but on certain sections of the tree, the leaf will have one divot or crease in the middle, dividing the fan into two lobes. That feature is actually where we get the tree's scientific name, ginkgo biloba. Biloba? Two lobes. These leaves have veins just like other tree leaves do, but how they form is terrific. You're likely used to seeing reticulate leaf venation, meaning that even if a leaf has a few prominent veins, there should be this random and interlaced web of smaller veins zigzagging around the leaf surface. You may have also seen parallel leaf venation, where all the veins seem to run parallel to each other like with grasses or lily leaves. The ginkgo has veins that are referred to as open dichotomous. Each vein that runs from the base of the leaf splits once, and only once, and none of the veins cross-connect. It is such an incredibly minor detail, but a point of organization and structure that I am just amazed by. 
On top of all that, unique leaf shape and veins, the ginkgo leaves are deciduous and in the fall time they turn a magnificent shade of gold before falling into dormancy for the winter. Just looking at the tree from afar is strange, but you may not be able to tell why initially. We are used to seeing deciduous trees with a generally rounder crown, or conifers with a more triangular shape. The ginkgo looks like it's going more for the rounder deciduous shape, but it's not filled out and circular. It's missing the small crisscrossing twigs that will fill in the space. This tree's branching is split into two forms, long shoots and short shoots. Long shoots are what we would normally call branches, the general big bones of the crown shape. But rather than having the little bone twigs fill in the space, short shoots are just these little nubbins that shortly stack on top of themselves as the years go by. That's actually one way of determining the age of a ginkgo branch, is by counting the amount of levels on these short shoots. It's from these little woody stacks that the leaves grow out of. It's also where the pollen cones grow from. I'm not sure if I've ever really touched on cone tree reproduction, but here's the quick and dirty. The cones that we call pine cones are, more specifically, seed cones. They have the ovules that get pollinated and turn into seeds. The pollen comes from a separate structure called the pollen cone that are smaller and less recognizable. On pines, for example, they look like little cobs of baby corn. For angiosperms and flowering plants, simply replace male and female cones with male and female flowers, and then tack on the idea that female flowers, when pollinated, turn into seed-bearing structures that we call fruits. The ginkgo is... somewhere in between. For one thing, the male and female ginkgo parts form on separate trees, making some trees male and some trees female. The male structures are these chains of nodules. If I have to be entirely honest, they kind of look like catkins, which is probably the flower type I talk about the most. But they will release their pollen and hope that the wind carries them to a female tree. What's extra fun about the ginkgo is that this pollen is the male aspect of reproduction, and inside those little grains are sperm cells. But these cells are not the same in plants as they are in animals. That being said, the ginkgo is different. Their male gametes are capable of motion. Meaning this tree has little swimmers! Just another incredibly minor detail that I love. If the pollen does find its way to a female tree, they'll find the ovules, which, rather than a seed cone, is just these two nodules at the end of long stalks. They kind of look like the heads of a praying mantis, which is mildly terrifying. The reason I say ginkgo is somewhere between conifers and flowering trees is that the seed production isn't really like either one. The seeds that'll form in pine cones just drop right out, no fruit structure attached, and the ginkgo does simply produce a seed, but with no cone structure. That said, the ginkgo seed has a fleshy exterior that is hard to describe as being different than a fruit. Apparently, a seed and its fruit are different structures, but this fleshy coating around the ginkgo seed is part of the seed? This is all weird, because it just looks like a stone fruit, and most folks will call these ginkgo fruits. I don't know, guys. I'm just going to call them fruits. But these are the things that people hate about ginkgo. One of my forestry professors told me this story about a time he traveled to a city for some conference, and when he got on the plane, he caught a whiff of this awful smell. And his first instinct was that it was the dude next to him that smelled so bad. But the plane landed, and when he was able to get away from that guy, he could still smell that awful smell. This time he thought, maybe it was the airline all along. But he left the airport, and... 
everywhere he went in this city, this smell followed him, and he truly believed this whole city just smelled terrible. But then he got to his hotel room and took off his shoes and found on the bottom of them a bunch of smashed ginkgo fruits. He had apparently walked by several female ginkgo trees before getting to the airport, and it was actually him that was making everywhere he went smellier for everyone else. When a tree or other plant is smelly, I think people like to debate about what it smells like. The consensus for the ginkgo is that its fruits smell like vomit. That's actually because the flesh of these seeds is rich in butyric acid, which is something that our stomach produces and is what is responsible for the distinctive odor when we throw up. But the presence of this acid is something that has gotten the ginkgo into a lot of trouble. Like the Bradford pear, the female ginkgo has been outright banned in many cities in order to prevent that awful smell from plaguing residents and guests alike. As long as the fruits aren't around, ginkgos are generally well-loved by people. And not just for all the tiny minor details that I gush about. Ginkgos can get to be fairly big. One tree in China called the Grand Ginkgo King is almost 100 feet tall and 19 feet in diameter at its base. People love big trees. The protection symbolism that humans have loved to attribute to trees are exemplified in the biggest individuals. Ginkgos can also live for a very long time. Humans haven't been around them for terribly long, but it's believed that they can live for thousands of years like the giant sequoias and redwoods of California. Old trees are just that much more special. Like I talked about with the bristlecone pine in my last episode, old trees record our history for us. And regardless of your level of plant knowledge, you can just tell that there's something different about this tree. But something that comes with this uniqueness is loneliness. The ginkgo isn't really related to anything alive today. When something is by itself within a taxonomic rank, we call that being monotypic. The ginkgo is monotypic on several levels. Ginkgo biloba is the only species in the ginkgo genus. Ginkgo is the only genus in ginkgoaceae, the ginkgo family. Ginkgoaceae is the only family in the order Ginkgoales. That is the only order in its class, and that class is the only class in its division. That division brings us to the overhead branch of vascular plants. The other branches in the vascular plant clade include the conifer branch, which includes every conifer, and the flowering plant branch, which includes every flowering plant. The branch that has ginkgo, all alone and separate from the others, just contains that one single species, this tree. It wasn't always this way though. Fossil records that date back hundreds of millions of years indicate the presence of several other ginkgo species, as well as ginkgo relatives. All sorts of families and classes that related to the ginkgo and filled out that branch of the evolutionary family tree. What happened to all of them? That long ago, we were looking at a warmer Earth, an Earth so warm that our poles weren't covered in ice, but forests, not too different from our modern-day subtropical zones like the Mediterranean. This was the environment that ginkgo-like plants developed on. But as time passed and our Earth continued to change, certain species faced bad luck. Our planet has been through multiple mass extinction events, kicking out many species but allowing new ones to develop. One after another, we slowly lost the species that filled out this evolutionary branch. But while other species faced tremendous bad luck and ultimately died off, our ginkgo biloba may have received just enough good luck. It somehow survived the mass extinction event that wiped out the dinosaurs 65 million years ago, 
but after that, it did start to dwindle. Despite its range decreasing from all across the temperate zone of the northern hemisphere to just a small section in China, it was able to hold on just long enough for humans to find it. And when we did, we saved it. Because we found meaning in the ginkgo. How often do you look at a street tree and think about its origin? I think about it a lot, and I love being able to take you on their journeys, like how I did with the spice trees, or how I'll do with some fruit trees pretty soon. The ginkgo is no different, really. It's an incredibly common street tree to find planted along roadsides or in yards, parks, or gardens. There were several ginkgos on my college campus. There's a ginkgo in someone's yard next to a trail I like to run on. The target down the road from my house has a bunch of ginkgos planted in the parking lot. They seem so common, but not too long ago, they were unheard of. Let's get in our time machine and turn the clock back just a thousand years. As we step out of the time machine, take a deep breath. Mmm, that's the smell of 11th century China, the Song Dynasty. It's often disputed when ginkgo entered human culture, so let's do our best to rely on explicit evidence. One of the earliest and most reliable written references to the ginkgo comes from a series of poems exchanged between a historian and a poet. This conversation entails the two discussing the different names each applied to the ginkgo and where they had found it. One calls it duck's foot, as they saw the fan shape of the leaf to resemble the webbed foot of a duck. The other calls it silver apricot, in reference to how the fleshy seed resembles a stone fruit with a silvery sheen to it. Either way, they reminisce on the finding of this tree, and how, when it was presented to nobility, they did not recognize it, and the emperor paid handsomely for it. So obviously, at this point, the ginkgo was known at various levels of Chinese society. The fruits were collected, but perhaps still early in the realm of full cultivation, but because of how it is known then, it seems as if the ginkgo was only just discovered a few generations back, perhaps within the century. There are some earlier mentions from hundreds of years earlier of plants that could be interpreted as the ginkgo, but there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding them. The ginkgo is strange for being a modernly cultivated plant that was described in the wild prior to it being described for its uses. Most cultivated plants have been grown by humans for so long that early production didn't include a lot of written explanation. And there's a lot of plants today that have historically not been cultivated that we know from the wild and are trying to see for what purposes we can use them. Think like how compounds are extracted from plants and have to pass through FDA inspection before becoming considered legitimate medicine. The ginkgo stands somewhere in between old cultivation and modern discovery. As for the specifics of where humans first found wild ginkgo, we have some theories. Between cross-checking those old written documents mentioning where they knew ginkgo to grow and studying the genetic diversity of various samples, our best bet are these two mountainous areas around the Jinfo Mountain and Tianmu Mountain. One is in central China, the other is in eastern China. Beautiful mountains, by the way. I just looked up pictures and wow. What likely happened is that by the time humans discovered the ginkgo, it was growing in small, scattered populations across China, and what ended up being cultivated came primarily from the wild-grown stock in those two areas. So as time progresses from here, we see ginkgo appearing more and more in Chinese literature. It's starting to be referred to as a common nut tree. That seed became an interesting food source. I've explained how these fruits smell and why, so... They eat that? Let me explain. 
It's that fleshy coating that contains the butyric acid, so that just needs to be removed before the seed can be consumed. There's a couple ways to do this. It can be buried and allow for soil microbes to decay that exterior, leaving just the seed. It can be soaked in water for a long time, which also helps the exterior slough off. Or, if you don't want to wait for your produce to be ready, you can just chuck it in a grinder and let metal blades tear the flesh off. This last method is certainly the fastest, but it is also the smelliest. Not too long after the ginkgo entered regular cultivation, it also entered the world of merchants and tradesmen. Some folks in Korea and Japan would suggest that ginkgo was also found native in their countries and have long been a part of their culture. But there just isn't scientific evidence to suggest that surviving populations of ginkgo biloba were found there in the wild. All we have to prove these claims are stories. The earliest hard evidence for the ginkgo's introduction to these other countries was thanks to a shipwreck that was found and studied. This sunken boat was discovered to be a trading vessel traveling from China to Korea and Japan, and it carried a variety of goods, one of them being ginkgo seeds. And on all these crates and shipments are the year 1323. Historians believe the first introduction of the ginkgo via trade must have happened no more than a few decades earlier than this. But this idea doesn't sit well with a lot of people from Korea and Japan. When ginkgos were brought over, they were often planted near Buddhist temples and shrines, and these trees' longevity became an important aspect in religious practice. Buddhist Shintoism in Japan specifically holds great reverence for nature and the spirits that are said to inhabit the natural world, and it's part of these beliefs that some of these trees are thousands of years old and house ancient spirits. But with research in mind, none of the ginkgo trees in Japan can be older than 700 years old. By the 1500s, the ginkgo was already deeply integrated in their culture. It held extensive symbolism in their art, it was a common pattern in their clothing, the seeds were a common feature in their dietary practices, and various old trees were involved in their stories. Not just legends and myths, but also histories. All these things indicating a much longer history with this tree than evidence would suggest. But here's the thing, culture can do that. It can adopt something that becomes integral over the course of just a couple centuries. Take America, for example. This country has only been around for a couple centuries, and many Americans are blind to the fact that our culture hasn't been around forever. And there's always aspects of culture that just don't make sense. I mentioned a few minutes ago that I was going to cover fruit trees soon, and when I talk about the apple tree, one thing I discuss is how apple pie became the most American standard despite apples and apple pie not originating in America. Regardless of when humans found this tree, and regardless of when the ginkgo made it to other countries, we latched onto it and insisted that it spread. This is how we saved the last species of a dying evolutionary branch of plants from extinction. The ginkgo was on its way out. But we loved how unique it was. We loved its weird crown shape, its weird leaf shape, its weird smelly nuts. When a ginkgo is stressed, it may form these drooping structures from their branches that the Japanese have referred to as chichis. Chichi in Japan means breast, and that's what they think these growths look like. But this is important to their culture too. The tree has become a symbolism of fertility because of this shape, and women pray to it in expectation of having healthy children. And while all this culture was being developed in East Asia, the Western world didn't even know this tree existed. Because of Japan's attempt at isolationism and their desire to curb the spread of Christianity, there's a lot about Japan we didn't know until the turn of the 18th century. Around that time, there was a Dutch physician botanist named Engelbert Kampfer, who was among the first European scientists allowed to explore Japan with a degree of supervision. In 1712, 
Camphor described and drew the first ginkgo plant for Western science. And it's from this first description that we get the name ginkgo. Up until that point, the tree wasn't referred to as ginkgo. It had multiple names, including ducksfoot and silver apricot like we see in the 11th century Chinese poems, as well as white fruit, grandfather grandchild tree, and more. Obviously those English words weren't used, but I'm not really in the mood to embarrass myself with pronunciation. Between how language develops and how these were traded back and forth across different Asian countries, the names in their original languages slowly changed. By the time Camphor was studying the plant in Japan, the dictionaries he was using had stuck with silver apricot. One dictionary had that as Icho, and another listed it as Ginan. Curiously enough, both gave an alternate name that was pronounced as Ginkyo. So Camphor ended up sticking with that, and for whatever reason, swapped that Y for a G, and it became Ginkgo. The presentation of this new tree was very well received, and for all Engelbert Camphor's achievements, he ended up with a tropical species of ginger named after him. He was supposed to have the ginkgo named after him, with the scientific name being ginkgo camphori, but those plans just kind of got lost apparently? The next step would be to have ginkgo samples brought to Europe so the heads of the botanical community could cultivate it and study it more extensively. For whatever reason, this didn't happen until later on in the 1700s. It eventually made its way to Carl Linnaeus, who is responsible for the taxonomic organization that scientists use today and the actual names of a lot of organisms. He ended up sticking with ginkgo biloba, because he was really fascinated by how the fan-shaped leaves split into two lobes. This is getting to the point where we are approaching our modern era, and I have some allowance to lazily wave my hand and say, and the rest is history. I mentioned that today we see the ginkgo as an incredibly common street tree. In New York City alone, there are 16,000 ginkgos planted along streets. In Japan, the ginkgo is the single most widely planted street tree. It makes up 11% of all trees planted along roads in the entire island nation, totaling 500,000 ginkgos. And this is all despite the fact that if you accidentally plant a female ginkgo, then you end up with a very smelly street. But like I said, a lot of cities have been conscious of this, and are taking care to only plant cloned or grafted male trees. We see the ginkgo in our medicine. Across East Asia, there are various legends of how planting or praying to ginkgos can help prolong your life or that of loved ones. And it's believed that power resonates throughout the tree, and is one reason why the nuts have become such a popular food. The thing about these seeds, though, is that they can be mildly toxic. Folks can have allergic reactions to them, like how some do with other tree nuts. A lot of these problems, though, are just with the raw seeds. So if you have the opportunity to eat ginkgo seeds, then just make sure that they're cooked in some way, and you're probably going to be fine. In the Western world, we actually focus more on the leaves rather than the seeds. It's thought that the oils that ginkgo foliage produces can improve memory for those who regularly take it. However, these claims have not been thoroughly studied by any legitimate branch of medical science and is not approved by the Food and Drug Administration. So it's a nice thought, and maybe, but for all intents and purposes, it's as helpful as legends. And I feel like I say this a lot, but I think we really take our trees for granted. They do so much for us, but a lot of folks just like that they're pretty or think that they're neat. And that's okay. Aside from the smell and regardless of history, we are just really attracted to the ginkgo. These trees just have so much charisma and so much charm that originates with its utter uniqueness. And you know what? It's incredible that the ginkgo has the opportunity to be such a common street tree that a lot of people may have never even noticed because we as humans are really good at destroying. Supporting our 21st century lifestyles involves a lot of waste and a lot of destruction. 
but we're really good at saving things too. We genuinely are. The ginkgo is a prime example of that. It's hard to say how long it would have taken for this species to go extinct, considering it took tens of millions of years for its evolutionary branch to dwindle as much as it did, but all that was left was a few scattered populations in one country. Historically speaking, that is a condition that predates disaster. It almost feels like this tree doesn't belong here. It makes sense to see it in fossils. It's part of the world of dinosaurs. And I feel so lucky that it simply isn't. My personal favorite trees are shining examples of why I love trees so gosh darn much. In the case of the ginkgo, this is a tree that shows us how weird our world is. A lot of us live in this temperate bubble where we know what trees are supposed to look like. Sure, there's a whole other world of trees in tropical rainforests or the savannas of Africa, and there's things like the ginkgo that are truly one of a kind. And even this whole timeline I've laid out for you is just a summary. If you want the whole story, I highly recommend that you find Ginkgo, The Tree That Time Forgot by Peter Crane. And I've now teased it multiple times in this episode, but the next few shows are going to all focus on fruit trees. I remember promising a series on them back in my pilot episode, and it's finally here. I actually didn't mean to line them up so neatly, but when I was planning out six months worth of content back in May, I kind of just accidentally put them together. So join me in two weeks on September 21st, where I kick things off with the citron and the origin of citrus fruits. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love. Give it a hug. <laughs>